0: One of the things that I've been using more and more, actually, in just day-to-day life is a whole load of AI tools. The uh, You know this, Sven, of course, but the people who are listening do not know this. The previous episode of our podcast had some AI-generated speech in it, which is something we haven't done before.
1: Everything that I said, wasn't it? <laughs> Yes, Sven, well, you can say whatever I want you to say
0: now, Sven. (laughs) So it probably wasn't the bits that you thought were AI-generated. We had a difficult edit with the previous podcast that we put out, and there was lots of stuttering and chopping and changing between bits of audio that you may have heard. But what you probably didn't hear is the couple of bits of my audio that I replaced with AI-generated audio. And that's a kind of, obviously, everything in the news is about AI these days. And what I've been doing is playing with various different bits of it, both the chat GPT and the kind of large language model text generation tools and some of the image generation tools. I've been playing with those a little bit over the last few months. And what I've been doing is I've been keeping a, a list of everything practical that i've done with one of these tools and that list is growing quite steadily now obviously when you first get hold of these things you ask them questions and you start playing with them and you start trying to break them. certainly i tried to break it many times but but what i've actually been doing is is finding the things that it's really good at and that are actually saving me time and before we get into talking about it in the context of swift package index there's one which I have found it really good for, which is critiquing writing. I don't think ChatGPT is very good at actually creating writing. It's certainly better than any other mechanized or computer generated text that we've seen. But actually compared to human written text, I don't think it's I don't think it's good enough yet. And certainly, as somebody who cares about the words, I'm not happy. To, to use any of the writing that it's produced for me yet. But I have found something that's really good at. So for the last three or four weeks, I've put my comment at the beginning of my iOS Dev Weekly newsletter into ChatGPT and asked it to critique my writing. And it comes up with genuinely quite interesting and useful suggestions. And I don't take them all, but I also wouldn't take them all if I asked the human to. <laughs> to critique my writing (laughs) but every week it's come up with three or four that i've ended up taking and rewording in
1: my comment and it's making i think those things better so how does that work actually do you paste in like a paragraph and it gives you variants of that paragraph or when you say critiquing how does it actually do the critiquing no it's it's
0: much better than that the prompt i've been using is very simple the prompt is critique this writing, that's it, three words. And then you enter that and it says, please enter the writing you'd like me to critique. And then you paste in whatever the text is. And I can give you some examples. So last week in iOS Dev Weekly, I talked about the AR, VR, MR headset and how I feel about those kind of rumors and whether it makes sense for Apple and that kind of thing. And let me give you a couple of things that it suggested. So it said, for example, In the second paragraph, you might want to restructure the first sentence to avoid repetition. And then gave me the bit of repetition that it was talking about.
1: And that was correct. There was actual repetition in the sentence. There was repetition. Yeah.
0: And I fixed it. Yeah. And it's, again, I know you, and I do as well, you have fears about its accuracy and what do they call it? They call it hallucination. I would call it making things up. And... With this kind of use, that just isn't a problem because yeah, if the repetition wasn't there, and I just wouldn't correct that point. It's, there's no, there's nothing that can really go wrong. Yeah,
1: I've, I have a much better feeling about all these AI tools when they operate on your input, because it's immediately obvious. Yes, because you're familiar with it, right? You can immediately cross-check. It help. It still helps you. You know that you don't have the burden to. You're not asking an obscure sort of thing about something you don't know, and then you get an answer and you you don't know what to do with the answer because you actually need to do the same amount of work double-checking what you just got. Whereas when you input something that you have created and you have it augmented, this is much easier to accept the result and immediately verify the result, I find.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Another piece of criticism it gave me was, it said in the fifth paragraph, you might want to provide a quick reminder of what in quotes, this announcement in 2017 is referring to. And actually it made a great point, but what it didn't know is that those words were a hyperlink. So obviously that provides the context, but the fact that it figured that out, and then you'll like this one, the final point was. Lastly, yes. I love how you ended the piece with humor. It gives the reason reader a reason to smile and keeps the tone lighthearted. <laughs> so, have you given it a name yet? Now that you have such a
1: <laughs> nice relationship with your editor,
0: <laughs> it is basically doing the job of an editor. Yeah. I could not justify an editor for iOS Dev Weekly. So in that context, this is a great second place. And I've been really getting value out of using this tool. That's really nice. Yeah. You might ask, why are we talking about iOS Dev Weekly and ChatGPT on the Swift Packaging Next podcast? But there is actually a reason. I just posted a couple of threads in our discussion forum that write up some of the stuff that we've been talking around. In fact, I think we. We teased it a little bit, a couple of podcasts ago, saying that we'd been thinking of a couple of potential uses of this kind of technology in the package index. And I spent a little bit of time today, writing up what we've been thinking so far and actually something that we haven't even yet discussed, but is something that's been on my mind. So the first one is. Summarization, these large language models are pretty good at taking a piece of text and distilling the information into something usable. Yeah. And one of the problems we have with the package index is that we have various bits of metadata that describe what the package does, but they're all either too short or too long. So we have obviously package name, which is really useful, but it's generally one or maybe two words. We have an optional description that comes actually from GitHub's repository description, which some people do use, but also some people don't use. And also it tends to only be maybe five or six words, something like that to describe the repository. And then the big one is the readme and the readme really should contain a description of what the package does. But the readme also contains a whole load of other things. Like for example, people generally put installation instructions in there. They put maybe some code samples and code examples in there. Maybe they put a license agreement in there. there's lots of stuff that we don't necessarily need to determine the purpose of the package. And so what I did was have a little play with the chat GBT API and try to write a prompt to generate a summary that specifically determined the purpose of the package and i gave it a whole load of readme files and unedited so i i didn't exclude any text out of the readme files the only thing i did do and i should mention this in the thread actually is some readme files were too long uh-huh. for gpt so it has a limit of of the number of tokens it can accept and a token is about 3 quarters of a word on average so in those cases, I just clipped it to the maximum number of tokens right. and threw away. I didn't do any kind of human editing on it. Yeah.
1: Just hoping that the information is all front-loaded in the README. <laughs> Which it should be,
0: because the purpose should be yeah. the first thing. If it
1: isn't, you've got a problem.
0: <laughs> and there are definitely lots of problems in READMEs and in the package index. So I clipped anything that was too long, and I passed everything through the same prompt and just let it spit out what it thought. And through tweaking that prompt, I managed to get it into a fairly good state where it was generating decent summaries. And if you look at the discussion that's on our SPI uh, discussions board, which is on our main repository, you can see I've included some of the generated summaries.
1: Yeah, I looked at those and they look really great. The thing I haven't actually done is double check against the packages what they what i think the description should be but it looks so reasonable and there's a couple of packages that I actually know, and it's spot on for those like semantic version actually i think that pretty much lifts the one sentence we have in the description argument parser is very clearly spot on alarm of fire is the other example i thought these were really good and they are short like three lines like a paragraph at most. I think the results are really promising from those examples. I wonder if there are edge cases that sort of make it break and we just haven't found them yet. But these examples, like the six or seven of them, they look really good.
0: Yeah. I'm certain there are. And I'm certain that also, because GPT is not very repeatable. Like you can ask it the same question lots of times. and It will give you lots of different results. And I try to engineer the prompt a little bit to to remove some of the things that it was doing for example as soon as i told it to determine the purpose it started every paragraph with the purpose of blah 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 which of course you would expect it to do because this is exactly what you've asked it to do but i had to pop in the prompt do not begin the paragraph with the purpose of and then what it started to do not always but sometimes it would put summary colon and then the summary so i added that and i'm sure there are more and more of those things that we'd find over time that we would need to like that prompt i don't think is complete but those summaries that are generated are completely unedited i haven't
1: touched them they look, look really good Do you know what happens when there is no README and all it has to go by is like very minimal package name information? Does it actually tell you I can't do anything or does it then conjure up something out of thin air? That's a great question.
0: If we weren't live recording a podcast, (laughs) I would test that right now, but that's a great question. I don't know, but actually this does bring me on to another point, which is really serious. We didn't write these packages and for us to ask an AI to generate a summary of somebody else's package, yeah. that is a little bit of a stretch. <laughs> I don't think it's a terrible stretch and I don't think anybody will will get terribly upset, but it is a little bit of a stretch into something like we're representing somebody else's package in a way that they didn't necessarily yeah. approve. And so what we should do, and I've written this up in the thread as well, is what we should absolutely do is put a key in the SPI YAML file, where if you put your own description in there that is approximately the same length as what we're trying to generate here, we will use that over any AI generated. So any package author that just wants to take complete control of that, that will absolutely be part of this feature if we implement it.
1: Should we consider making it opt-in in general? So you opt-in either having it AI generated or just you know, opt-in by having your own paragraph That might also take care of costs. I've seen your estimate how much it would cost to run it once across all packages. That will also then be an easier ramp up of the whole feature if it was initially just opt-in based because it'll be much smaller number of packages that would actually be affected. And it would take away that problem of people potentially not being happy about that. So there's an argument
0: for that for sure. And I think that the answer to that depends on how we're going to use it. I can see two main uses for this kind of data. I can see, first of all, we could use this data in the UI. We could make much nicer and much more usable search result pages and category lists and author lists and that kind of stuff if we could actually have a couple of sentences of description about each package. Because at the moment, what we're relying on is the description, if there ha- if there is one, and the package name, and that's it. So I think if we use it in the UI, it would be... If it's it all of really them. It would really only be yeah. worth doing that if we yeah. have them for everything. Yeah, exactly. There is another use, though, which is not potentially in the UI, and we could do both, no. and we could do neither, and we could do one or the other. We could use AI-generated summaries as an additional indexable search field without actually displaying it in the UI at all. So I, I, I've i just done a little bit of testing today with this and this might be the way to solve our eh. word stemming problem. So semantic version, all one word camel-cased, in every case, it split that up into semantic space version. And that could help solve some of our search yep issues yeah interesting yeah i i honestly i think we should do it for everything i don't think unless as we get further down this road the mistakes that it makes are egregious i think we should just do it for everybody and then if somebody doesn't like it we've got a immediate way to say to them look this is how you opt
1: out yeah i wonder what the what edge cases are that would be harmful is there even a scenario we can think of it could dream up something really weird that isn't easily verifiable. The question is, would you, yeah, what's the effect yeah. of that? Would you make a package decision that is bad based of that? I mean, you could argue that you, sh- you shouldn't just pick based of, off of one paragraph.
0: There's also the issue of disclosure. Should we, do we, if we do this, should we disclose that these bits of text are AI generated?
1: Yeah, I feel like we should... The question is, how would it be a label or something? But I think it's really important. I think, Yeah, I just I, I just have this sense that I, I would want to know, did actually someone look at this or was this machine generated? It has a different feel to it, I think. And I think I'd appreciate knowing where this comes from. But the question of whether to put that on on
0: the page every time it's used, or whether it's just enough to have that in documentation somewhere—that is a question that I don't think we can answer in yeah. two minutes here yeah. on the podcast. I think, I think we actually need to to look at how this, look at some real actual data.
1: Yeah, and people should let us know. I mean, you can you can stop us right here if you if you come screaming. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is not even at
0: an issue level yet. You know, we, you know how we you create. GitHub issues when you want to do something. We have not yet created a GitHub issue for this. This is purely a discussion yeah. at the moment and nothing is set in stone. We we may not do any of this. Then I have been thinking about another potential use of GPT for Package Index. And that is recently OpenAI announced that they were running a beta for OpenAI ChatGPT plugins which are, as I understand it, they are a way that you can provide in a structured way information to the GPT language model, which it will then combine with its existing language model and you can effectively expand its knowledge with your data. Quite famously, it's not connected to the live internet and it has a knowledge cutoff date of september 2021 but this is a way that you can say here is very specific bits of data that you that are more recent than that that you should then know about you can feed it structured data yeah so i think this is interesting with package index for again a couple of different reasons if we started feeding it package information including for example readme files and some of the metadata that we produce. Yes, absolutely, yeah. We could even include things like compatibility information. Yeah. Categories, that kind of thing. There's a lot of stuff that we can, in a very structured way, tell GPT about. And I think that would unlock two potential uses. The first is the people who are just using GPT would then be able to talk about Swift packages with GPT, and they'd be able to discuss what kind of package they were looking for, and without the package
1: index even getting involved. Oh, so this would enter the general domain. This isn't just, you're not seeding your your own domain that you then query this, this is available to anyone.
0: As I understand it, but I'm not sure about that. That I'm I'm not 100% sure about that. Okay. If that is the case, that's not necessarily game over for it but i would like it to be able to give links to people back to package Mm index, yeah (laughs) because it doesn't really give you links at the moment it's very reluctant to actually link to anything Um, so again that's this is even further away from being a real idea this is really just like let's have a quick look at this and see if it's even yeah see if it's even worth investigating but then the second use of this technology would be to potentially have gpt-powered search in the package index so instead of just running through postgres's full text search you're actually asking gpt questions and using the package information that we've submitted to gpt through the plugin
1: yeah i can totally see how that changes a lot because right now we have the problem that we both need to implement any search extensions ourselves, you know, like platform colon Linux to filter on packages that are compatible with Linux. Yes. We both need to do that and then teach people the search language. Whereas if you pipe it in and this works, which is might be a big if, but if that works, you cut that out on both ends, right? People can just use natural language in asking the questions as they would think they should. And the machine sort of sorts out the mapping to the results without us having to go in and extend product types with macros when they get shipped because it'll just appear automatically. And does that then lead
0: into some kind of... Because, again, another really powerful thing about these tools is that they have context. So you can refine search results or refine what you're talking about them with. I think it's interesting enough that I would like to have a quick... Well, I've applied for us to be in the beta, first of all, which is the first step. And then depending on how onerous it is to get the data in there, it might be worth us spending some time just having a little experiment with this. I think the other really big problem with using it for site search on the package index is potentially the cost because you would be paying for API calls per search, which would be expensive.
1: There, There's actually a, a use case that I just went through the other day, where I wonder if that would yield better results, and I was looking for a package that would allow you to create images on Linux. Think of SwiftUI rendering out into a PNG, which you can do uh-huh. on Linux. Obviously, you don't have SwiftUI. You don't have core graphics, that sort of stuff and it was really hard to come up with a search that would even give me any results you either get no results because you've been too specific or you get like dozens of results that are really hard to whittle down and i could imagine that gpt's deep inspection and finding all these bits of information that we can't surface right now in in our search right because if you look for image you get flooded if you look for jpeg png there's just too much and there's no, it's really hard to come up with. Uh-huh. The platform label takes out a lot of that but it's really hard to distill that into a search query as it stands right now where I I would hope that would actually be possible with a GPT fa- um, interface. And I, I wonder if that's actually correct. Maybe that's a good use case to to try it out with once we embark on it and, and explore this further.
0: But I've now had hundreds of conversations with gpt about all sorts of stuff and i can certainly tell you that kind of job of refining what you're talking about it is extremely good at that really interesting i'm not going to say this is revolutionary but it's this is a really significant development in in computing
1: yeah i mean that's certainly that is certainly clear exciting times I feel like I did a lot of talking there. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Let me maybe take over for a bit and talk about some other news that we have since the last time we recorded, which has actually been a while, hasn't it? So we had a bit of a, a longer time. And there are two things worth mentioning. The first is that we have a new version of SPI Playgrounds, release one one oh. Came out, I think it's it's a week or two ago now. This version is macOS 13 only, uh-huh. so Ventura or higher, which is for uninteresting reasons. There were some API changes, and we couldn't figure out how to fix that any other way. The old version is still available for download, so if you are on an older Mac OS version, you can still use that. The only thing you don't get, then, is the couple of small fixes that the new version brings, and that is support for Mac Catalyst as a platform. And do note when you right. Need to make use of that you need to also choose ios as the build platform in the inspector on the side and thanks to github user ting for the tip how to get that to work initially mac catalyst actually made the whole playground cre- creation fail because we didn't recognize that platform type but then it also became possible to actually run them in the playground with when you change that setting and the default setting is mac os that's why you actually need to go in and change that the other issue that fixes is around packages with plugin definitions. We also failed to pass these. And finally, there was a deprecation warning in the generated playgrounds, which is really just a little nuisance that you got the alert sign when you were working with a newly generated playground. Other than that, it had no effect really. Bit of a technical background. The app is also now based on the latest version of the Composable Architecture by Point Free Co. And I really wanted to give Steven and Brandon, yet another shout out for maintaining not just this library, but the hosts of really great packages that they maintain because they somehow manage to not just maintain them and have really advanced features in them. They do it in a way that is backwards compatible, like in so many cases. And, and when it isn't, they have very detailed release notes that tell you exactly how to address any warnings and build errors you might be getting when you change to newer versions so i hadn't touched playgrounds in quite a while and the possible architecture had moved to much newer versions so they had big changes under the hood we got loads of warnings making that first change and it was really easy to sort out despite these warnings looking quite scary and they're just doing a fantastic job with all the libraries Moving them through the versions, and bear in mind these are 0. x hybrid versions. So TCA, the composable architecture, is just on the verge of being 1.0, and they already have this fantastic backwards compatibility in place. Big shout out to them. The second piece of news is that we have Swift Package Index manifest validation available on the website now. What that means is you are probably familiar with like CI services often have YAML files to control their operations and they also often offer a web form where you can paste in your version and have it validated. And we have that available now on the website. I don't actually have the URL to hand right now. We'll have it in the show notes. You can go to that URL, paste in your spi.yaml file and it'll be validated. It'll tell you whether it's correct. And if it isn't, it'll give you a hopefully useful printout so we're actually using the exact same codable struct in that tool that we use on the back end to read the files so what you get out when it fails is effectively a codable error which sometimes perhaps aren't the most useful but in the cases that i've tried it was actually quite quite helpful in pointing out potential errors i also forget where the exact url
0: for this is, but I can tell people how they can find it. So if you are the maintainer of a package on the package index, if you go to your own package page, then on the right-hand side at the bottom of the sidebar, there's a little section that says, do you maintain this package? And if you click the learn more, there then we have a whole load of information with different bits of customization and little badges and things that you can add to your readme file and at the very bottom of that page is now a online manifest validation
1: helper link yeah that maintainer page has lots of hopefully helpful information for maintainers to spice up their package badges documentation links all that stuff Mm -hmm. do you want to kick us off with package recommendations this week all right i have perhaps a package that you've also picked, and that is SWIFT Foundation, the Foundation preview package by Apple and SWIFT Foundation ICU that comes in combination with them. What that is is the preview package of the Foundation library that has been announced, I believe, at the server-side SWIFT conference in December last year. I was in the audience for it. You were indeed, yes. So this is the re-implementation of foundation in open source re implementation. Is it starting out with just a number of types for now? So in there's an announcement blog post which we will link to. This includes all new Swift implementations of, for example, JSON encoder, decoder, calendar, time zone, locale. There are also other types that are newly available as open source, which probably means that they are they aren't all Swift re implementations. I suppose In some cases, it's just very intricate and battle-tested code that is not being re-implemented, but um, just moved into the open source realm. There's also Foundation ICU. I guess that's Foundation Intensive Care Unit, (laughs) (laughs) which is dealing with internationalization on non-Darwin platforms. So that's obviously Linux, Windows, and so on. This is based on Apple's upstream ICU implementations. So this is, I think, this is Unicode and all that sort of stuff. The whole package is Swift 5.9 for now. It's interestingly the tools version in the package is 5.8 only, which actually allowed us to add it to the index. It's failing all the builds because it actually has some tests to make sure it's only compiling on 5.9. I'm curious why that isn't telegraphed via the tools version, but you know, it at least allowed us to added to the package index there's a promise of performance increases not just the promise there have been some results posted in the blog post as well i guess this is mainly from no more objective c bridging in case of the swift reimplementations. so for instance in case of json decoding and there's a promise of 200 to 500 percent improved performance i believe those were the numbers i do believe on linux we already profit this right now because like on, on server-side Swift, I think the JSON implementation was already not based on bridging, but I might be wrong. It certainly will help iOS and Mac apps. Finally worth mentioning is that along with this comes a new foundation workgroup to guide its development and the uh, goals for the first half of 2023 are quality and performance. And a secondary goal is requests for community proposals to add new APIs, which is really interesting because there have been a couple of areas in the past where people were hoping to get stuff into foundation, but it was always difficult because it's just not a part of the project that was managed in the same way that Swift was. So there you go.
0: I think the other thing that's really important here is that a lot of the open source packages that apple have been producing so far have been from scratch and a lot of them not all of them but a lot of them are around server side swift and and topic areas that are quite different from apple platform development ios app development mac app development that kind of thing and foundation is not foundation obviously is applicable to all of that server-side Swift stuff because it is the foundation, but it's also the foundation underneath all of the Apple platform development. And I'm not sure the implications of that have been really emphasized enough by people that I've seen talking about this. This is much more than just another open source package from Apple. This is at the core of both Apple platform development and, in fact, all Swift development. And I think... I mean, I have no idea. I have no, I have no idea whatsoever how the discussions around this. Maybe it was very easy to do, yeah. but I would imagine it was not.
1: <laughs> certainly great to have it. And that extends Apple's rich catalog of packages on, on the index. The last thing I want to say on
0: Foundation is this highlights a feature of package index, which I was very keen to do as we were building it way back three, almost three years ago. I don't know whether you remember the conversations we had around this spend but we had we did have a backwards and forwards around what should we put at the top of every package page and i felt quite strongly that it should be not the repository name but the package name that's from the manifest itself and this is a great example of why i think that was the right decision because if you look on the package index page we display this package as foundation preview, because it is a preview, but actually if you look at the GitHub repository, you don't see that foundation preview anywhere because it's hidden within the package manifest. And so I think looking at it in the index, to me, it's an example of why it's clearly a better experience to look at a package through the index than it is to look at the GitHub page for a package and things like our looking deep inside the metadata to pull out package name specifically. And of course, all the other
1: stuff that we do as well. One thing we might want to consider at some point, and I know we talked about this as well, just in the context of use this package is surfacing more of the package manifest structure. What modules are there that you can actually import? Right. Yeah, Xcode has some affordances for this. When you type something that it knows lives in a certain module, it offers up importing the module or even adding a package when it knows about the details. I would love if we actually had this also on our use, this package thing hover where we could offer more than we do just now because all we do right now is offer up the clause that you use for the dependency, that little snippet with the URL and the uh-huh. the branch or whatever yep. it is you, you want but that is missing the part where you do the product that you import and obviously it might be more than one that you could choose from the package that you're using all right
0: so you're correct i did have that package in my in my list but i also have some other packages too so the first one that i want to talk about today is ds waveform image by dennis schmidt he's no relation <laughs> is he swim. that's particularly schmidt no not. So DS waveform image is a, both a, an image generation and also a view and SwiftUI control that will take an audio waveform and represent it as an image. So for example, if you were building some kind of audio recording functionality into your app, then this would be a perfect example of the kind of thing that would be a lot of effort to implement for yourself, but gives you that extra little bit of polish of not just saying there is audio there is not audio actually look here's your audio if you look at the readme file for this package you can see a great example of what it looks like in the in an application yeah that looks really nice yeah that said i think there's an argument against using this control in certain instances and i'll give an example of 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 where you might and you might not want to use a control like this. Duolingo. I I've been using Duolingo for a couple of years now and it has a couple of bits of UI where it draws a audio waveform of the text you're about to hear. Yeah. And then you tap on the waveform and it plays the text back. Now, if you just if you're just using the application, you will never notice this. But the waveforms in Duolingo bear no resemblance to the actual audio that it outputs. Now, if if they were just using the same waveform over and over again, you'd notice that within a couple of days, I would imagine you'd figure out that it's not a waveform view. But the illusion of it being a waveform of the audio is easy enough to convince someone of, with just a repetition of three or four, predefined audio waveforms yeah. that they just cycle around, basically. <laughs> and it doesn't, because it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. You're going to tap it. All it, the only thing it needs to do is say, if you tap this, you'll hear some audio. And this is not a criticism of Duolingo. I think their solution is actually perfect for this use case. The only thing I would say here is this control is going to be great when you genuinely need a representation of an audio waveform. And when you're just trying to indicate there is audio here, you might be better served with a simpler example of just a few predefined images. And I think a good example of where you might want to use this is let's say, if you were allowing people to record their voice, because what you'd be giving the feedback there is, we captured the audio and you were not just silent, this is actual your audio and it's feedback that that your audio was successfully captured and so that would be a good use for this kind
1: of control but it's always worth looking at the other side of it presumably when you actually run it as a capture you'd see the levels as well and that would translate then well into the actual waveform so you have this connect between what you're doing on one side and the representation persistence on the other hand
0: yeah but that's not to take anything away from the actual package itself so That's DS Waveform Image by Dennis Schwitt.
1: All right. My next package is a couple of packages and it is called Swift Ast Explorer, Swift AST Explorer by Kishikawa Katsumi. And this is an interesting package. Well, it is a package, but it's not really a package that you would use in your own application. It's a web app, actually. It's a Vapor app and it's a web service that is being deployed, a website that you can visit, and we have the link in the show notes, what it does is you paste in Swift source code and it shows you the AST, the abstract syntax tree of the source code. And it's using Swift Uh syntax by Apple under the hood to actually do the parsing of the Swift source code into that syntax tree. AST, that's actually funny because in German, ast is branched tree. So there's a nice <laughs> nice loop there. I didn't know that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not using Geolingo to learn German, unfortunately. <laughs> Did I resolve the acronym abstract syntax tree? That's what AST stands for. This is interesting in itself, but it's perhaps a bit in the weeds. Why would you actually need that or find that interesting? And there's a, an upcoming really good reason for that. And that is the macro expansion feature that is being Discussed right now in Swift Evolution is, I'm not sure if it's been approved yet, but I think it's going to be very soon if it isn't already. The feature as it is proposed and implemented will allow you to take syntax nodes and expand them then by writing a little program that runs on that syntax node. And that is using Swift syntax under the hood. So you can transform a syntax node that you've been given and then create whatever macros do, you know, expand it or transform it, do all sorts of things. And there are lots of examples out there already showing what you can actually do, what you will be able to do with macros. What this web app does, gives you a view of the abstract syntax tree or the the syntax nodes, how Swift syntax sees them very easily because that view can be quite overwhelming trying to work with Swift syntax because that output is really verbose. You're getting a lot out of like a tiny snippet of Swift will generate a lot of bits and pieces because there's just a lot to the syntax once it's passed into all its constituent elements and what this will allow you to to do is see the the tree what it looks like and then make it easier to transform it. Think of it a bit like Safari DevTools has that element selection where you get this cursor to hover over the page and you can select, you know, little elements on the web page, divs and all sorts of things, and it highlights them and you can see them highlighted in the source code. That's exactly the same thing you will, you have on that web app page where on the right hand side, you have the past result and you can hover over it and it'll highlight the corresponding Swift code on the left hand side. So it's a really, it's a really great tool should explore all of this and that's swift ast explorer by Kishikawa katsumi
0: that's fantastic talking of asts i remember having a conversation with graham lee at an ns conference event probably it must be 12 or 13 years ago and we were chatting about the ast generated from objective c code because of course at that time there was no There was no Swift and the conversation we had was around whether the AST should be the format that we actually commit to source code control and that the editor view on your source code, including all the things like code formatting, tabs or spaces, number and and position of brackets and, and all that, all that stuff that developers love to argue about. If you commit the AST instead of the text source code, everybody could yeah. view the code in different <laughs> ways. <laughs> but I remember that conversation quite vividly, Graham. If you're if you're uh, listening, I wonder if you remember
1: if you remember that that conversation too. <laughs> Drop me a message. <laughs> Imagine the conversations you could short circuit by doing that. You know all the <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but also imagine what merge diffs would look like
0: <laughs> so my last package is emoji text by david walter and the best way to, for me to describe this package is it allows you to put in custom emoji into a swift ui view so what I, what i thought this was first of all was you know a lot of tools will take colon clown and get the clown emoji. It's not that. What it is, is if you want to display emoji along with custom emoji that you have designed, you can do that with this package. And what it does is it allows you to present an image that the renderer should use for your emoji if it detects your emoji in text. So you can use this colon colon syntax, define some custom emojis in there, have some images in your application and not only have the standard system emoji, but also, like for example, tools like Discord right. allow you to yeah. add your own emojis that you can then use inside your application. It would allow that kind of functionality inside your app. And that's just something I've not seen anybody tackle before. So I thought it was worth a mention. That
1: is interesting. How does it deal with sizing and, you know, like aspect ratios and that sort of stuff, do you know? that's a great question (laughs) we'll tune in next week (laughs) the readme is pretty good but it doesn't cover that (laughs) oh it does look really interesting nonetheless so here we are at the end of
0: another episode thank you all for listening and we will be back in a couple of weeks
1: yep see you in two weeks bye-bye all right bye-bye